Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Hello, and we're going back to Washington D.C. Uh, this morning for to where Andy Schweilio is there joining us for the first time on the show. Andy is the founder and editor in chief of the excellent China blog China Open Mike. Andy is also a consultant uh, in the international development space, and uh, he's a former journalist in Beijing, where he was also a production manager for CCTV. A very good morning to you, Andy. Hi Eric, hi Kobus, and everyone. I'm very glad to be here. Oh well, it's a pleasure to have you on board, and one, we're just excited to have you today on the show. In part because we're going to focus today on uh, Huawei and ZTE. Now we've talked a lot about Huawei this past year, in part because they seem to be making one deal after another across the continent. And on Andy's blog at ChinaOpenMike.com, uh, he featured an interview with William Plummer, who is the North American representative for Huawei, and we'll talk about that. But we're we're going to focus specifically. On the question of Ethiopia, Kobus. Before I get into some of the background about who Huawei and ZTE are, tell us a little bit about the the inroads that both of these companies seem to be making in Ethiopia and why it's so important. Well, Ethiopia、um, is is simultaneously a big big potential market and has very low、um, internet penetration. So apparently, only two point five percent of Ethiopians have access to the internet.、Um, so this is a huge deal. It's a one point six billion dollar deal split halfway between Huawei and ZTE,、um, and it's supposed to provide four 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 G networks within Addis Ababa and then three G networks around the rest of Ethiopia. Um, and it's supposed to bring、um, bring、uh, cell phone subscribers up to fifty percent of the of the Ethiopian population. So it potentially has a, a large impact. But you know, kind of as a lot of things with the Ethiopian Ethiopian government, particularly in relating to freedom of speech, it's a very complicated situation. Okay, so this is, that's really the what we're going to get into for most of the show with Andy. But again, this is a deal that's one point six billion dollars, as Koba said, split evenly between Huawei and. ZTE. Now, if you're not familiar with either of these companies, I like to say that these are two of the biggest companies that you've never heard of.、Uh, Huawei is is most famous, actually. Well, it depends on where you are in the world. In Africa, Huawei is probably most famous for its consumer devices, which are the 3G dongles that go into your computer to get internet access, or、uh, the cell phone. They are the sixth largest cell phone manufacturer in the world,、uh, behind Samsung and Apple.、Uh, in China, they're a huge player,、uh, and then Z. ZTE is the fifth largest cell phone manufacturer, and believe it or not, the number one smartphone manufacturer in the world. Now, both of these companies, for a long time, were what was known as OEMs, which are the original equipment manufacturers. They're the ones who made things for other brands. Then, in the past ten, fifteen years, they've started to come out on their own. And now, and this is where we're going to bring Andy into the question. The question of both Huawei and ZTE is really raising fears, not only in the United States, but predominantly in the United States, but other countries as well, that the Chinese government may use its relationship with both of these companies to spy on other countries. Now, we brought this issue up a couple weeks ago on a podcast、uh, where there was just an awfully written article by John Reed in Foreign Policy,、uh, at least on their website. I don't think it was in their magazine. Where he kind of brought up all the boogeyman about、uh, Huawei, which have yet to be really substan-、uh, proven or substantiated. Substan- I don't even know the word proven. Actually, I'll stick with that word.、Um, 
substantiated. That was the word, substantiated. Uh, nonetheless, the, the, the relationship between Huawei and the Chinese government, ZTE and the Chinese government, is opaque to say the least. So, uh, Andy, you had a chance to actually go right to the source and talk to William Plummer, who, of course, is not a, you know, a, a neutral bystander in all of this. But nonetheless, what was his take on this question of the security and the allegations that largely come from the United States about the concerns that you know, all this investment in Huawei hardware and CTE hardware in places like Ethiopia could be used by the Chinese government for spying and for other nefarious uh, activities. Yeah, I think, um, Eric, I think you're right about um, this issue of cybersecurity involving Huawei and EZT and other Chinese multinationals uh, is more pronounced here in the United States, um, possibly than other regions and countries in the world. Um, with the information at hand right now, including um, my conversation with Bill Plummer, who is the Vice President for External Affairs of Huawei USA, I feel, um, and th- also this is the sense I got from uh, Mr. Plummer, that um, all these discussions and allegations um, here in the U.S. Um, over cybersecurity sound more political than technical. Um, you know, what we heard here from the U.S. government, um, especially Mr. Michael Hayden, who used to head um, uh, National Security Agen- Agency and, uh, of course, CIA, um, and, you know, some U.S. media as well, uh, what we heard from them is that almost Huawei is, the name Huawei equals Chinese government in some sense in terms of possibly working together to spy on other countries to, um, quote-unquote, to wire up the entire Africa, as what, what we read in the um, article. Um, on the other hand, what I heard from Huawei, from Mr. Palmer, is that um, Huawei is a multinational company just like Nokia, Alcatel, Ericsson, and other, um, and other telecommunications companies. Um, but it happens to have a China heritage, so it's somehow involved into this whole political debate between the United States, United States and China over cybersecurity. Um, so it prompts, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, with all due respect, okay, I mean, just like Nokia, just like Ericsson, just like Alcatel and Cisco, uh, who all contribute to the creation of networks that are being used to oppress people, Huawei doesn't have its hands clean either in this case. And, and, and uh, you know, Cobus, this is something that we saw recently in Zimbabwe where I don't know if it was specifically Huawei equipment, but there were quite a few reports that Chinese telecom engineers were working with Zimbabwe telecom officials to really enhance the monitoring ability of uh, of the government. So that is to do deep packet inspections, that is to do SMS filtering. And in, in Ethiopia, we do know for a fact that the Chinese government, through Huawei and through some of the other telecom engineers, are working with the Ethiopian government and have been doing so for quite some time to improve the censorship uh, that exists in Ethiopia. Now, this is a very different subject, so we shouldn't mix the two. The, the allegations that the United States, Michael Hayden, uh, and others are making uh, are different than the question of the censorship issue. So those are, are two radically different topics. Nonetheless, I think this is what gives rise to the concerns that Huawei and ZTE may not necessarily be the best thing for Ethiopia and Africa. Kobus, what's your thought on that? I think, um, you know, these 
I think one one of the points that that William Plummer made in his interview with Andy, you know, kind of is that you know a lot of these a lot of these big multinational phone companies are very similar, and I think to a certain extent they make they they bring a, a kind of a similar effect, you know, kind of once they once they invest in a country because I think they they to a large extent they're kind of value free. I don't think they necessarily they're not pushing any particular agenda themselves. They tend to. Um, give strength to whatever agenda the the African government is, you know, kind of already has. So in the past, there's been, um, you know, kind of Ethio Telecom, um, uh, you know, had a had a joint agreement with Orange, I think, uh, the French French uh, mobile company, um, and I think they ended up being in a very similar kind of situation where Orange technology was used, you know, kind of to strengthen the Ethiopian government's agenda. In this case, Huawei would probably end up being the same kind of thing. You know, the Ethiopian government just wants to close down speech, you know. Um, and part of that part of that has to do with just, you know, it's just a culture of, you know, they, they closed down 72 different newspapers. They, um, you know, kind of, you, it's illegal to speak on Skype. Some guy some guy got, got two years, you know, in, in prison for showing people how to make internet phone calls. And part of that is... is you know, cracking down on free speech and dissidents. Other part of that is is um, is mon- monopoly maintaining. So the uh, Ethio Telecom makes a lot of money for the government that the government uses in in among other other things, funding a large rail project to connect Ethiopia with Djibouti. Um, and you know, kind of the they could make a lot more money um, by selling off um, licenses to different to, to different kind of cell phone operators because. You know, Ethiopia is a big market, but the army tends to block all of those deals if they come up. So, you know, kind of you have a, a mix of political and, and you know, kind of economic reasons for maintaining this monopoly. Yeah, and it should also be noted, as I mentioned, that – and Rebecca McKinnon, who has done an enormous amount of research on the Chinese internet and the Great Firewall, uh, pointed out, in fact, that Cisco was among the, the providers who, who, who sold equipment to the Chinese government to create the firewall itself – so certainly building this kind of infrastructure, this telecom infrastructure that uh, has been used to censor, to oppress, to limit freedom of speech is not something simply limited to the Chinese and to Huawei. This is, as I think, Kobus, you make an excellent point, that it's a tool that can be used by any government to either expand freedom or to, constri- or to constrict it. Um, however, Andy, I want to kind of come back to you and, 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 again, trying to keep these two issues separate, which is one is the censorship issue and the other one is the cyber spying. And certainly the cyber spying is the one that is far more prominent in Washington. But you can understand, and you are, for full disclosure, a Chinese national, and proudly so, but you can understand why people in Africa may be ambivalent about the rise of Huawei and ZTE when they have relationships like they do in Ethiopia and like they do in Zimbabwe. Um, yes. Um, actually, uh, you know, just speaking uh, according to my experience here in the U.S., I kind of understand where um, the U.S. government and, uh, if you will, the, the American people came from uh, uh, when it comes to Chinese companies um, investing in their country and trying to uh, win more market share in their market. Uh, when I was chatting with an American uh, friend who is a good friend of Chinese people as well, the other day about um, this whole cybersecurity, cyber spying issue, as you mentioned, um, he, I think what he said definitely represents a lot of people here um, are concerned about, uh, which I quote, until there is some technological solution that will bring peace of mind that systems are secure. 
um, he's not sure how Huawei is going to be successful in the U.S. market. Um, so I think this kind of uh, collective concern by the people, local people here, is uh, is more especially more pronounced now that uh, they kind of feel that their own government cannot be trusted all the time in the wake of the, this NSA um, scandal. So you know, in some way, it's really um, uh, by nature a matter of perception, not necessarily information. Sometimes, and you can't really blame you know the people, your or your potential customers for for worrying about losing their own benefits, although uh, whether it's based on facts or not, because, you know, this perception, it's just human nature. And I think from Huawei's perspective or any multinationals, um, uh, I think, you know, what needs to be done is to figure out how to more effectively effectively engage local markets um, uh, including, you know, government officials as well as the people. Well, Huawei certainly hasn't had any problems engaging local markets. It has risen in just the past 20 years out of nowhere uh, to become the largest network telecom service provider in the world. Uh, recently, just this year, surpassing Ericsson. <laughs> Except for the U.S., but here's the thing. It attained the number one spot worldwide even without the U.S., and that's what's remarkable. So it is ahead of, of, uh, of Alcatel, it is ahead of Ericsson, uh, it is ahead now of Cisco itself. And so the U.S. in some ways, which is the big the big market, it'll never get into the U.S. It only does about a billion dollars of business there. Uh, but nonetheless, it will never get in there in a, in a mass way. I just think the politics aren't right there. Uh, but Copus, what I think is interesting about the Ethiopia deal is that in so many ways, this Huawei ZTE relationship with Ethiopia offers the opportunity uh, to kind of see the, the China-Africa relationship uh, as a whole. And Deborah Braudigam has this great point that is, you know, you get to see in the China-Africa relationship whatever you want. If you want to say that China is the biggest asshole in the world and and they've ruined Africa, you can absolutely see that in these Huawei ZTE deals, that they're facilitating censorship, that they're helping the government crack down on dissidents. But to your point, Kobus, which is what you brought up in the the background portion of this, where they're going to be helping to expand telecommunications to a population that doesn't have it, where they're bringing telecommunications at an affordable price point that the rest of the world simply couldn't do, where they're helping to roll out 3G and 4G networks that will connect populations to the Internet for the very first time, uh, that is remarkable. Uh, that's one of the biggest you know, development enhancements that one could ever imagine. So in some ways, you get to read into this whatever you want. Yeah, I completely agree. It's also interesting is that um, Huawei and, and ZTE seem to be changing the trend, you know, the old cliche about Chinese um, companies in, in Africa that they only that they bring over Chinese people and or only employ Africa you know, Africans for, for low wage, kind of low low stakes jobs kind of low on, on, on the picking order. You know, um, Huawei is, is quite prominent in, in um, you know, in getting lots of locals in very prominent positions. Um, and, you know, apparently 65, they're 65% localized in Africa, which is high. I mean, it's, 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 it's remarkable, you know. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the, the, the percentage that I've read, you know. And, um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, kind of that, that they do try to sell themselves as an African company, you know, kind of so it's this classic kind of globalization kind of multinational you know strategy but it's it's interesting you know kind of to see it happening in africa and the amount of care they put into their own image in africa i think is is impressive yeah i mean i was when i was living in the drc i again i was using a a, a huawei dongle connected to a huawei uh, tell us a cell phone tower that was connected to a huawei network so without huawei which was you know somehow you know associated i, I think with a uh 
with a deal with both Vodafone and the Chinese government subsidizing the rollout of that infrastructure, there would not be internet connections in vast parts of the DRC. So I think in some ways they were able to come in at such a cheap price point compared to the others and to do it. Um, Andy, you know, one of the big confusions about Huawei is that many people mistake that they're a state-owned company. And that's in part because, well, we assume that every big Chinese company is a state-owned company. But at the same time, it's because the head of Huawei, uh, Ren Zhengfei, is a very secretive person. This is a guy who doesn't give interviews. He doesn't really – I mean, there are opaque Chinese companies and then there's Huawei. And we know nothing about it. Do you think that if Huawei did a better job at communicating both with African governments and with the United States, that that would help its case? Or is it just that it's the boogeyman and it's China and, well, there you go? Yeah, I think that's you know, the, uh, the question that's constantly being brought up, including myself to uh, Mr. Blummer when I was interviewing her, him, sorry. Um, and it, really, I never met Mr. Ren Zhengfei, so I... I, I really don't know what kind of person he is. And it's true that he used to have this, you know, People's Liberation Army connections. But what, what I know uh, is that uh, Huawei is a private, private company uh, founded in China, but more so it's now a multinational that's in most countries, a lot of countries in the world, that um, it's not necessarily uh, Chinese um, outside of China. When I was visiting Huawei's office in America, in, in Washington, D.C., I didn't encounter any Chinese employees. It was, you know, all American employees, uh, including Mr. Plummer, who don't speak Chinese, who are not, you know, sort of China expert in any sort. Um, so that makes me kind of feel that Huawei is more actually more of a multinational um, company than a local or than a Chinese company um, nowadays. Um, and I think Huawei understands the importance of, you know, engagement with um, local stakeholders wh- wherever they go. And I think they're, they're um, trying to do a good job um, on it um, just in the U.S. And I'm sure, you know, you're seeing all kinds of similar um, uh, things happening around the world is that there are actually a lot of progresses made um, as a result of uh, Huawei and all other similar, you know, multinational companies' um, active uh, communication and engagement to their um, um, customers and stakeholders in their in their markets in the United States alone, we we see that Huawei still maintains seven uh, research and development centers, um, kind of to lead the the industry to go to go forward and they have they have thir- about 30 around the world and seven of them are here in the US and um the industry according to Mr. Blommer the US ICT industry also in the spring earlier uh, earlier this year wrote letters to their to the congress saying that all these barriers you know against Huawei and other companies foreign companies are a bad idea because it affects american jobs and it impacts american multinational companies as well. So I think this is also part of the, the result of part of the, you know, result of the efforts of, you know, companies like Huawei um, put forth. And I think um, all these progresses that we see is actually, or they're actually uh, in the mainstream, but sometimes don't necessarily get reported a lot um, than by the media than other controversial issues like the cybersecurity debate. Yeah, I mean, well, speaking of the cybersecurity debate, uh, more revelations coming out today by 
uh, Edward Snowden published in the New York Times that it turns out that the United States uh, spends $4.3 billion on its uh, cyber command and has launched uh, what, they, what they say are about 231 different offensive cyber attacks. So it's rather interesting that a lot of this concern is coming out of the United States when, in fact, that it's the United States who, as the Chinese have said for quite a long time, is has been an aggressor in this point of view. We saw this in Iran. We saw this in some other places, parts around the world, justified or not. Kobus, I'm going to come to you for from some final thoughts. You, you, you heard a, a rather ringing endorsement of Huawei from, from Andy in terms of that this is a company that may be misunderstood. Um, I tend to take a, a little bit more of a nuanced point of view that it, it is, as you said, these are tools that are being used by, by governments to do for good or for bad and for evil. But there's a, you know, how much do you think of China's reputations on the line when, when these big deals come in and people, again, have a difficulty separating China from Huawei ZTE? So when the Ethiopian government, when the Zimbabwean government, when Paul Kagame in Rwanda use these tools to oppress and to suppress, um, how much of that rubs off on China, Inc., and China, the brand as a whole? Um, I think... You know, it's it's very complicated. I think um, some of it's some of those kind of bad vibes do tend to to you know to uh, to affect Chinese the, the the Chinese brand in the international market. I think I think they they are affected by it. At the same time, I tend to always wonder, you know, kind of. To, to feel that that in discussing this, like what one needs to to also maintain a balance, you know. So even. You know, and, and, and this is not to apologize for, for oppressive government in any kind of way, but, you know, kind of, this, you know, even though the Ethiopian government is using Huawei equipment to oppress free speech, the fact that, that Huawei uh, networks are bringing 4G and 3G, 3G networks to Ethiopia, to normal Ethiopians, that has a lot of, of, of positive impact in their lives as well. Yeah. Even if they're not, if, even if they can't use those networks for political speech, they use it for, to improve their lives in lots of other kind of ways too. You know, so I always, that's one of the reasons why I'm very hesitant to support international sanctions usually, because the kind of impact on daily life is just never really taken into account. You know, kind of the, the way that, that sanctions make people suffer uh, in, in those countries, you know, is, is never taken into account in, in, you know, in, in, the, in the countries that, that impose them. So, you know, I tend to think that even, you know, kind of even in these situations where, where political speech is, you know, kind of is controlled, other kind of speech is enabled. Yeah. Um, so so the, the kind of improvement in daily life has to be taken into account. Well, it just goes to show that, again, these Huawei ZTE deals in, in Ethiopia really do kind of highlight and summarize the China-Africa relationship as a whole, that you get to see it what you want. Uh, listen, that's all the time we have for for this edition of the show. Uh, Andy, at the end of every show, what we do is we kind of point people in the direction to follow you and what you're doing on the web. You're very, very active on the Internet with the China Open Mic. That's China Open Mic, M-I-C dot com. Uh, in addition to your excellent blog and some of the hangouts that you're doing, where else can people follow you and to find out what's going on? Um, thank you very much, um, Eric, for um, your kind words about my blog, China Open Mic. I'm on Twitter. China open mic at me and you know we I, I'm glad to um, share ideas and talk about um, all things China and global development with you guys and also on Facebook facebook.com slash China open mic as well as um, Google plus if you search for China open mic I'm there and on YouTube I post um, Google Hangouts uh, from time to time and the videos are posted on China open mics um, YouTube channel um, after a search um, so really, um, there are multiple ways um, 
uh, through which we can, you know, talk about um, all those exciting and interesting issues. Chinese development. It's really great to get a Chinese voice kind of more active in this discussion, which we don't hear enough of, actually. Uh, and Kobus, if uh, people want to follow you on uh, on the internet, where can they find you? I'm active on our Facebook page, and you'll see my name in brackets. You know when I reply to to comments, and also I'm on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S T A D E N E S Q U E. And you can find me as well on Facebook at facebook.com/slash China Africa Project. 102,000 followers. We're very proud of that, uh, and it's just mm-hmm. some great discussions that are going on. It's really fantastic, Andy. You are one of them, and we really appreciate all of your comments that we that you put in there to to participate in the debate and the. Discussion. And Andy really is representative of the fact that we have Chinese, we have Africans, we have Americans, we've got Europeans, we've got people from Latin America. It truly is a global debate as this is a global issue. Uh, you can follow me as well on e on uh, on Twitter. I'm at eolander at e-o-l-a-n-d-e-r. I'm tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost uh, every day. And uh, hey, uh, Kobus, I wanted to let you know that we have a, a new little partnership going on uh, with uh, ChinaAfricanews.com. That's Henry Hall's excellent newsletter. Henry puts out a weekly newsletter of the top stories, so if you just want to get a, a snapshot of what's going on, maybe the Facebook page that uh, Kobus and I put out and the podcast is, uh, and then the Twitter feed, that's a little too much to follow all in one. Well, you know, Henry can give you, in, in just by signing up at ChinaAfricanews.com, an email with about 10 stories, and you'll be able to follow our podcast on that email as well. So I recommend that. So uh, we'll be back again uh, later this week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening.